Welcome to The Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, broadcasting on the everlasting 3CR public airwaves. Today we feature a special recording of our event last night, the other Sydney lockout. As you know, housing prices in Sydney, like so many global cities, is off the Richter scale and uh, was lucky enough to have a, a nice, sweet audience to present to alongside our friend... Mr. Friendly Geordies. So sit back and imagine you're in an audience, about 20 people, as uh, I roll through one of my presentations, uh, reiterating some of the core facts and figures that uh, we've been talking about here on The Renegade Economist for so many years. The show starts off with Mia Stewart, former Earthsharing Australia intern, talking about the recent eviction notice she received for a property that was bought in the mid-80s. In 80s for 29000 and that really pissed me off. (laughs) Um, So I contacted Carl and I said, look, this is really unfair. Look, Dave and I work full-time and it's almost impossible for us to even buy the home that we've lived in and that we've called home um, for seven years. And so after contacting Carl and knowing that he was coming up this way, I said, let's organise something. And so that's what we're doing tonight. And so thank you all for braving the chill and coming out. Um, and so I'd like to introduce Carl Fitzgerald, um, if you're not familiar with him, um, economist and uh, presenter on Renegade Economist on 2SCR, but also online, yes, <coughs> podcasting, and also YouTube sensation, Friendly Geordies. That's who I am. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm going to hand it over to to them. Beautiful, Mia. Thank you. We're just going to have a little friendly chat here about the the other Sydney lockout. And part of my work at Prosper Australia is trying to make economics interesting. So it was fantastic to bump into this guy online and uh, have him see one of our reports on vacant housing and say, come on, we've got to do something. And then the rest is history. I made a video and I don't know what we're talking about now because I'm not an economist, so I'll just sit here and go, oh, really? Every, that'll be my job here. So I'm not adding anything, except for the bike. Over to you, Carl, <laughs> for the next 90 minutes. 90 minutes? <laughs> no, 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 we won't do it that long. But, uh, yeah, so Prosper Australia, just a little bit of background. Um, it's a, a trust fund that's been running for 125 years. Um, we're celebrating our 125th Henry George dinner this year, and it's based on a philosophy uh, that, that uh, was around in the 1800s, where pretty much every economist accepted that those who owned the earth had a huge advantage over anyone trying to run a business or earn a wage. And it was that simple. You know, those who own the land should pay for the governing of the land. But over time, that's been minimised so that now workers pay other taxes and those who own property pay barely anything. But that's where the megabucks are. So the value of living in the community, that's the big question. And this is the answer. A $525 billion increase for living in a community in Australia last year. That is uh, the number that the Australian Bureau of Stats um, delivered to us. And I'm telling it to you in a bit of a different way because it's represented by land prices. And Australia is one of the last remaining countries on the planet that still values their land. Nearly everywhere else has privatised it. And here in Sydney, um, 
politicians are laughing in the face of ICAC because they're currently privatising your land titles office. So JP Morgan's uh, chiming in for $4.8 million consultancy fee and uh, the government's going to uh, pull in some $500 million, but uh, for eternity to come, that's going to mean that some corporate entity is going to know how valuable your property is, and they're going to be able to sell that to the highest bidder, rather than there being a, a strong public interest side to the story. So it's a massive um, amount of money, $525 billion, isn't it? And um, in Victoria, they increased 132, but up here, wow, wow, $301 billion increase in the value of land in one year in New South Wales. And to, uh, to cover the cost of government at, at local, state and federal levels is $517 billion. So we have to think about who's working hard, who's making all the money. How do we balance those things out? So between the two states, that's the number, 434 billion, 83% of the national uplift was between these two mega cities. So for those of us uh, who uh, do own land, I must put my hand up and say, yes, I am one, um, we have benefited. Sorry, Geordie. Screwed. But actually, everybody here owes land, though, don't they? Probably. And you're all just sitting here, just like, how much is it worth? Probably all think you're at a real estate <laughs> seminar. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. Yeah, you're right. Have you ever I'm been... I'm a really to... nice landlord. Not that anyone gives a shit, but he's great. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> but tell that story. That's really interesting. Yeah, because he's basically owned three houses in Bondi for years. He comes to my, my house every two weeks or whatever and gets $320 off me, gives me life advice and goes home. And I was, <laughs> and I was always like, why are you such a nice man? You know? But uh, Carl's got the scoop on that and I've already forgotten what it is, so I'm just going to have to ask you to finish my story. We'll, we'll get back to that when we get our um, smartphones out. If anyone here wants to go to um, the app store and download On The House, On The House app, um, in, in a few minutes, we'll get to it. Okay, we're on the. On the Facebook feed, apparently. So this is what's happening to the Australian dream: property investor, Australian property investor. Have a look at that. They've itemised the last 109 suburbs where you can buy a property for under $350,000. And, you know, just in case you're lacking in motivation ever about the emphasis of tonight's story, just, just have a glance at this magazine. There's probably three or four of them sitting in your local newsagent, and it might just give you something to think about, having a look at the titles. I feel sort of like waking up to the Matrix listening to your stuff, isn't it? And then you listen to those get-rich-quick scheme things, and they're telling the exact same information that he says, except for they're saying that, like, He's saying, no, this ruins, you know, most of the population's chances in life, where these guys are just like, this is how you fuck over everyone else. And you just, it's such a, it's very scary watching that kind of stuff afterwards. Yeah, there, there was another one this magazine had out called Follow the Infrastructure. And it was all about, you know, not, not bothering about where you, what side of the tracks you own, 
just as long as you own near the tracks. <laughs> they need to rewrite that song, don't they? Uh, oh, God, our, our projector's in trouble here. But negative gearing, I just thought we'd run through this. It's a big election issue of what's going to happen. And the property lobby um, have been out there saying that, look, the majority of negative gearers earn less than $80,000. Uh, but uh, when we look at it, um, there are 74,000 negative gearers uh, who are, um, are claiming they've got minus income, a negative income. They're not earning anything. So how are they actually surviving on this planet? Uh, this, is, this is what the tax papers are, are revealing. And then there's 250000 earning less than $20,000. Now, how are they surviving as well? So, uh, obviously, um, some young kids own property or, or some, who knows, some spouses, some way or other, they're, they're living off their, their capital gains, hiding it in tax havens, perhaps, and not um, actually earning income. And this is part of the game of what's happened in economics these days. Uh, you know, uh, incomes are for mugs, basically. It's all about capital gains. So, yeah, when, when you look at this property lobby claim that, you know, majority of people earn um, less than 80000 it's it's down to about 60%. Um, so, sure, plenty of everyday people have jumped onto this negative gearing equation, but, you know, really, what value is it doing the Australian economy? So Michael Yander from the ABC, he says, look, that number is probably still overstating it. There, there's you know, probably less than 60% of people um, who are uh, earning $80,000 claiming negative gearing. So it, it has become a, you know, a mainstream uh, affair, writing off your, um, your interest costs your mortgage costs and claiming that against your income. And really in Australia, that's one of the things that is unique about our property system is that you can um, have a loss in your real estate and use that as a tax deduction on your income. In most other countries, you cannot do that. You have to keep the loss within the um, income entity. Was that ever set up for a noble reason? Have you guys seen that YouTube ad that's been on the front of a bunch of clips at the moment of the real estate agency just being like, just don't vote Labor, it's going to be awful for the economy? Was there ever... They were saying that there was a historical reason for negative gearing, or I can't remember it. Well, the, the big myth about negative gearing is that when Paul Keating curtailed um, negative gearing between 85 to 87, that there was a jump in rental prices... And this myth has been repeated so many times. There was an article recently saying the myth that just won't die. And people like Saul Leslake uh, and many, many other um, economists and academics have an analysed it to say that uh, it was only in two cities where the rents did increase. And those cities were Sydney and Perth. And there were existing uh, rental short shortages before the negative gearing quarantining. But in all of the other cities, rents actually fell. So, there were, you know, all, all plateaued. There was no great jump. So it was a beat up that has been pushed time and time again. And, uh, you know, you've got to... It, it's very interesting to see what Labor has done with their policy. We will get to that in a sec. 
But the, pro the problem we have is that housing affordability and the lives of so many people now is sitting on the edge. You know, it's our f number one financial priority every week is to meet the rent. Uh, but when it comes to government policy, this housing affordability question is in the too hard basket at the bottom of that cliff as if it's never, never been on the agenda. So this election is really exciting because it's the first time that housing affordability's at least had a place and some serious reform ideas have been put forward. So it is very exciting to see what could happen. Now, this is uh, the ratio of small business credit to investor housing. And you can see back here in the um, early 90s, small business was um, where the majority of credit went. But as the tax game has changed, uh, now, of course, all the money is going to property and you've got to basically put your hand out um, crowdfunding to, uh, to find some small business loans. Um, it's become very difficult if you're trying to raise um, money to employ people but all the incentives are going to people who just use their mobile phones, sitting on a hammock from their favourite tax haven, um, buying and selling real estate. That's the system, unfortunately. So uh, this, these, these were um, some words, Geordie, I reckon you might like, um, on a property spruker's flyer. You too can learn the exact system that allows you to create the unfair advantage as a property investor in today's market. It's short and to the point, the good stuff. <laughs> so that is uh, what they promise at this exponential property wealth system event. And there are just so many uh, loopholes out there for people to, um, to, to, to make easy money. And so even the property spruikers know that they've got this unfair advantage. It's incredible. There's this one uh, out there called property options where um, you go to uh, an exponential wealth um, seminar. There's a guy named Mark Rolton. If you ever go to spare time and you see someone like him or Dimfner Boholt, um, Australia's number one property spruker around, go along. They're free events and you will you learn a lot because th these guys have developed um, property speculation into a fine art where they say get out your iPhones and open up Google Maps, do a search for any property above 800 square metres um, in a certain um, city you're interested in and you get that overlay, you get that and then they say right now open up another tab for your lo the local council there and let's see what the development approval is for that area. And let's say, oh, it's got uh, medium density approval already marked off. Wow. Let's use one of these property options and go and knock on that old mum and dad who, who own that huge thousand square metre block of land on the corner there and offer them $100,000 more than the, the market price for that land. And they... The old mum and dad say, wow, that's fantastic. I'll sign up for that. And uh, the catch is uh, we'll, gi we'll give you uh, that $100,000, the, the $1.1 million, let's say, next year in 12 months. And then they, they sign the contract. It's all legally binding. They then take that contract and sell it on to a builder who buys it for probably $1.8 The property option holder has not put a cent down 
They've made some $700,000 through a few clicks online. So that's the game that's happening all around the world. And uh, people are just dragging their feet along going, I don't really need to know about this stuff. doesn't really matter. You're listening to a live recording from last night's The Other Sydney Lockout event held at Tortuga Studios alongside friendly Geordies uh, and myself. So let's get back to that recording. As we're about to see, this is costing you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And here's this man, Sydney's number one favourite son, Harry Triggerboff. I should have this in inverted commas because last October when there was all this talk about bubbles and this sort of stuff, uh, he said, look, there's no bubble because there's lots of demand. So high immigration is certainly one of the big drivers and there's been this whole denial about the role of property bubbles and you can't quite see it there but that says entrepreneur Um, it's Harriet number one on the BRW rich list or rent seeker and this is a term I'd love you to um, remember rent seeking and this is the ability to lean on government to essentially earn money in your sleep You want rents, you want easy money coming to you where you don't actually have to produce anything. You just need to own a piece of paper uh, that says you own some of the earth. Now, uh, Prosper Australia and and, this is a global movement of people keeping this philosophy alive that we shouldn't actually own the earth, we should be custodians of it and pay a lease for it. So it fits in with indigenous type thinking But it also fits in with common sense. Why should we borrow 1.1 million from the bank to where 70% of that that amount is uh, for the land price? So that's your land tax that you talk about? Yeah, so that's where we're getting towards is the the need to... (laughs) I should have given you a preview, (laughs) Jordy. We just chatted and had beers. for. We had three hours to talk and we didn't. But yeah, we're doing it now. So here's, here's Harry, the number one uh, wealthiest man in Australia. And this is his wealth. Nice little graph that the BRW put up. And uh, look at this. This is when the capital gains discount was um, given by the world's greatest treasurer, Peter Costello. Cost hello. And um, you can look at his wealth. The cost of living, uh, you know, in terms of housing has gone through the roof. And don't you think it's um, a slightly suspect that here in Sydney house prices have gone up? I can't keep up. Was it 10, 12, 15%? What's the latest uh, number you've heard bandied about? It's somewhere around that 15 to 17% mark. But what's happened to our inflation? God, I'm a slide ahead. Um, <laughs> Here's Just a, run with it. <laughs> yeah. Here's the uh, resources bubble. Poor old Gina, she's suffering a bit at the moment. But of course, property um, from down here in the 2000s when um, the GST was enacted, and what happened was that the property lobby, um, you know, the property council, they have some $5 million a year in um, resources to spend uh, to push their barrow. And our little organisation, we're lucky to have five grand. Um, but uh, uh, look at this. 
escalation in value just for owning property. And of course, here we have MPs and their properties. We have 226 politicians own 563 properties. And there we have Barry O'Sullivan from the National Party. I think he has 47. Clive Palmer is well up there. Um, you know, so many of them own real estate and uh, their wives and so forth um, are also in there. Can anyone, is that a focus okay? It's a bit sus. Or, no, 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 just let's fiddle. Does anyone want to fiddle with the front of the projector? That, yeah, good one. Rob, you can do it. Oh, wow. Just a Oh. <laughs> that politician must have been on the focus lens before, trying to cover it up, eh? So it's, it's um, with the weekly radio show I do, The Renegade Economist, I was interviewing an English uh, activist in, uh, on housing affordability, and he was spitting into the phone saying, these politicians, 41% of them own real estate. How can they dare tell us they're going to represent the public interest when all they want is their real estate portfolio to go up in value? I said, 41%? It's 94% here federally. 94% of politicians own an investment property. So, you know, in terms of representing the public interest, uh, the, there's a mixed bag there, and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens um, as uh, this election week continues. So, property investors, the top 20% own 60% of housing debt. They also own 72% of the value of investment property. So they own the most valuable property. They also own most of the debt. Uh, but we're hearing that it's the mum and dad investors who, who are going to be the ones that are hurt if we do change negative gearing. So uh, the, the, you know, we need more analysis on these figures. But because um, it, it's so costly for groups like ours to analyse housing prices now, um, we paid $6,000 for one Excel spreadsheet recently that our colleagues in America can look up online for free. And so the data commons is being privatised and you see RP Data and CoreLogic and these sort of companies, they're getting their free ads on TV whenever the, the latest monthly in index comes out. And that used to be, you know, the ABS doing that work, but because we can't fund our public health system anymore. We can't fund our education because of all these tax loopholes. Um, they're having to privatise the things, the very things that we need. So here we go. Um, the intergenerational inequity. Look at the growth here. It's dropping. Uh, but as we go further up, um, the wealth really increases for... Um, for these guys here who are, who are, you know, this is what we have. We have this first come, first served economy. If you got here and you, you were Geordie's landlord, who, but what, what year did uh, he end up, how did he get his land? When was that Japanese beach scare in Bondi? Somewhere in World War Two. Sure. Okay. 1941 sounds about right. If I vaguely remember year seven history, yeah. I think it was, yeah, 1941's the answer to everyone listening at home. At and, and Terry, Online. what would have the price been for a property in Bondi in 1941? Yeah, I, remember, I remember Dad used to say uh, the smart investors were the ones who bought 
shares in Malayan tin mines and the eastern suburbs real estate of World War II because if we lost the war they'd be worthless. If we won they'd all come back. Yeah, probably what, 500 bucks or something like that? Yeah, yep. Now with. It was a slum when I was growing up. I mean, nobody put bomb barrels in it. Mm. I mean, I look around Paddington, it was a bloody slum. Nobody would want to live there. Extraordinary. So we have this 15, 17% increase in, in property values in, um, in Sydney, but look, we have record low inflation. So what do we do? Let's cut interest rates. But how come the property bubble's not included in our inflation figures? This is another thing that happened in the late 90s where they removed the value of the family home, the land under the family home from inflation. So basically two-thirds of the property bubble has been wiped out that we officially know of. But still, you'd think even with one-third of that $525 billion increase, we'd be seeing higher inflation rates. But we're not. So um, today I was very, I was shocked. I had lunch with my um, insider at Macquarie Bank and he told me that uh, the RBA cannot cut in, um, interest rates anymore um, because uh, the banks have so much money um, deposited with the RBA. So they're going to lose money because interest rates will be cut. And because investors um, in the property market aren't really uh, as, as bubblicious anymore, there's not, you know, there's 25% of the market with foreign investors has been basically removed with some of the new reforms that are coming through. So that's a positive in terms of state government reform. But is it going to be enough to actually deliver, you know, the affordability promise we, we've um, been led to believe? So it's a quick couple of things about vacancy. Um, this is our real specialty at Prosper Australia. We do um, a report into vacant housing. We found last year there was 82,000 empty homes. Um, it's been as high as 90,000 recently. And the scary thing is that it doesn't include the land um, that uh, the big developers own on the edge of the city. And here in Sydney, Mervac recently won a court case um, a couple of hours north of here. I can't remember the exact suburb, but um, yeah, they said, look, we shouldn't um, be paying land tax on this because we've got cows on this land. <laughs> and so there's all these little exemptions on how they can minimise their tax. So apparently if you put bees on your, on your land as well, you're a farmer. They count as residents. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so they avoid paying tax. So we've got all, you know, 25,000 homeless, 30,000 on a waiting list, and over 80,000 empty homes, and that's just the beginning. Um, but you wait as all these apartments come through in Sydney and Melbourne, will they let the prices fall like we've been promised, or will Harry get a bailout? It's, and look at this guy from BPM, Jonathan Hellenin. Isn't he the sort of guy you want to um, knock about with? He's one of the new young They've BRW. They've punchable faces, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Very smug. And he's got a whole photo reel on the AFR and the, every image is... Is very uh, aristocratic. He he's, comes from good stock, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a whole pile of youngsters um, 
who have stormed through the, the rich list of recent and they're riding on the value of location, location. And it's just so valuable for those in the know. But the great tragedy is, as an economist, the value of location has been written out of the textbooks. So you don't actually get to study it. You don't under, get to understand it. Um, even doing masters, basically, they don't teach it. because It's too controversial to question what property owners make. So Marrickville, here we are. We're in Sydney. According to the census, household income, $64,000. The median rent they're paying, $37,000 in Marrickville. Just an absolute killer. You know, does anyone here pay that much per household? Yeah. You're in Marrickville? On 37. Jeez, that is carnage. The tax um, average per household is 15500 and the big question is, do people who earn money, who earn incomes, earn more than those who own a piece of paper that says they own land, real estate? So what's one year's worth of capital gains versus a household income in Marrickville? $253,000 in the last year. It's just incredible. So I don't know... Uh, Jonathan, is there a full gentrification whitewash going through Marrickville at the moment? Just starting. It must be really ramping up because that's just... So what's going to happen is that um, price goes up. Um, uh, yeah, the, the amount of landlords like Geordie's who will, will charge you a 19... 41 rental price or a 19, <laughs> uh, even a 1987 rental price would be happy with. Which we're extremely grateful for if you're listening. Thank you very much, Mark. <laughs> Maybe we should develop a brand of vintage rental, rental agreements, you know. <laughs> You've got a 19... seal, one of those wizard yeah. seals. Yeah, yeah because... What we're saying in a way is that um, for someone who, d who does have an a 87 rental um, uh, price of, of, say, $220 a, a month um, to now that being $2,400 a month, the difference between that, 2000, that $220 and $2,400, $2,200 odd, that is what's known as unearned income, economic rent. And the person who owns that location didn't actually make it any more beautiful, didn't do much to really deserve such an incredible increment every single month. And that's the advantage that landowners have. So um, that's why I made this documentary a few years ago, Real Estate for Ransom. And um, we are today filming, and some of this hopefully will end up in the next documentary I'm making called The Global Gentrification Game. So this is happening globally, what we're talking about, and um, Detroit was somewhere where I visited um, last year, and it was just devastating to see the community torn apart by... Um, not only the property bubble and the manufacturing wipeout with the, the, the car industry, but um, also the fact that government can't actually look after its people anymore. And that's what we're seeing around the world, is that the government can't keep up with all of the problems, and their only solution is to sell off the crown jewels. 
So we're seeing more and more privatisations and there's not much left. Um, so yeah, how much do renters miss out? We're paying 15 grand a year in tax, 37 in rent, $253,000 in what's technically known as imputed rents. Now, I, I'm workshopping this, I need a better title, but um, <laughs> I've qu I, I'm calling, the, I, I euphemise it as renters miss out, but Geordie, let me just kick the wall and say this should be known as the price of ignorance. Be 250,000 no, or all of it that together? that number. Okay, there we go. $305,523. That is the yearly price of ignorance for people ignoring the role of land, real estate and the tax game. And what, what Prosper essentially talks about is how you could collapse um, your, your tax and your rent um, into one and that would give you also an income tax and a company tax, sales tax write-off. So you'll see it in the handout there is a report I wrote a few years ago called The Total Resource Rents of Australia. It's a light 54 pages of reading and Terry Dwyer here um, is one of the only other economists in the world who has quantified the value not only of our land but of our fisheries, of our mining, of our electromagnetic spectrum, um, through to the, the, the domain names. Was, apparently there's a bar here in Sydney where the cyber squatters meet up and they talk about the latest domain name they've developed. They've developed the domain name. They've come up with a word, dogwash.com, and I'm the first to get it. <laughs> so these monopolies, that's what it's all about, is developing a monopoly. And I sold dogwash.com for $58,000. Wow. That's better than collecting license plates, isn't it? Well, that's, yeah, was, once upon a time, that was a valuable one. That was one. a thing, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... This is interesting, what's happening um, with the election. So the ALP has very courageously said they are going to um, uh, reform negative gearing and remove capital gains tax discount um, starting from July 2017. It'll be wound back and um, is very brave what they're doing. but. Some worry that because it's giving a year's notice, there's going to be this stampede of investors um, jumping into the market between now and then. But I still, I take my hat off to them. They've at least taken this beast on. It's a really big one. And even just a couple of years ago, people were saying this would never happen. So uh, that is um, a, a big step forward and a victory for all of the um, people re commenting on Fairfax articles, on The Guardian, you name it, the conversation. There's a lot of places now where people can learn online and, um, yeah, or listen, you know, or watch documentaries. So, uh, Do you know what the time. opinion is of negative gearing at the moment? Do they have opinion polls on who's in favour and who's against? There, there was one just this week saying more people are in favour of removing it than not. And when you think about Bill Shorten's popularity, it really was the start of his comeback um, nine months ago, perhaps, when he said, look, we need to uh, take on negative gearing. It was a big one. Y yes. That's it. And yeah. 
that is right. And um, if it's gone on for too long. And they said that negative gearing delivers more housing supply. But if you read a website called macrobusiness.com.au, um, there's a killer. Which you don't. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah there's uh, conversations on this topic every day. But basically, 92% of money borrowed for negative gearing goes to buy existing locations. So it's not actually used to build new housing. It's to buy existing housing and pretty much flip it within the next 15 months or so. Another trick they learn in these property seminars, they, they teach you how to postcode hop. And all you have to do is change your, um, your electoral address and one bill, such as your mobile phone, something like that, to your new property investment. And that, uh, that uh, um, and that basically, in the eyes of the law, says that that's your primary residence. And so um, in 12 months' time, you can sell that without paying capital gains tax. Yeah. So this is... Where is it? No one audits this stuff. There's no oversight. So um, in the whole negative gearing field, Scott Ludlam from the Greens, he's not... Uh, he's asked these questions in... Um, Senate estimates. I'm sorry if there's steam coming out your ears, but um, I've got, I can roll on with these stories all night long. And it's just so devastating that it's taken, you know, 15, 20 years of serious lobbying. We started writing in 2001 to do what the ALP has um, now promised, and that is to limit negative gearing to um, new home builds. So that's really exciting that that's finally happening. And it will add to supply. So the sort of stuff Malcolm Turnbull's talking about of it increasing rents and causing problems is just absolute balderdash. It's not not going to um, to win. Yeah, go on. Does that encourage people to build new houses instead of buying existing? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, well, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, still you're going to be able to get development approval to build new housing, so there will be some impetus to build in, in prime locations. So um, it's not going to penalise you for um, buying um, an existing location and turning into new housing, from what I understand. There's so many vacant blocks of land lying around in the inner city that need new building on them, such as the one 50 metres down the road from us here um, on the corner of uh, Campbell Street there. It's incredible. So the Greens, their, their idea is to immediately curtail negative gearing and capital gains tax. So that's, um, that's certainly another step forward. So um, it will be very interesting to see whether the murdocracy, is what I call it, the... <laughs> Um, reign supreme and their influence um, through the Daily Telegraph and so forth leads to um, uh, yeah, a liberal win or not. But I certainly see that uh, the, the minor parties are going to have a strong role to play in the, the next um, federal parliament. So... Um, so yeah, by removing the, the ALP, removing both over five years, um, that is fantastic. 
Um, sorry, that's the greens. So our aim is to, to keep the land values down so we don't have to borrow so much from banks so that then everything else can, can prosper. Um, is that enough? Well, we have to uh, consider this question. Can't quite see it there, but worried about foreign investment? Up globally by a mere 334% in six years. That's what's happening globally, according to Savills. So um, it's incredible the amount of international capital that's circling the planet. So now we're on to the spot the bubble side of the game. So has, has anyone got the On The House app on their phone? Do you want to? You couldn't find it? Um, Okay, on the house. It's actually called property values. Oh, Carl. Jeez. Well done. Well done, Carl. Yeah, it's a little the symbol looks like See that blue aqua aqua. Yeah, that's it. Who wants to see that? The website's on the house.com but the So um, the idea is that um, you download the app, and Dan here has my address here in um, in Braybrook, in um, in Melbourne. According to the UN, it was the second most um, it was had the second poorest social health um, statistics in the 1970s after um, Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. So. Um, it, this is a serious working class suburb and I am gentrifying it. <laughs> With my three young blonde haired kids running around the streets, every time one of those Mercedes Benz drives down uh, perusing the real estate in the street, I know that um, I'm uh, hurting my neighbours, um, hurting the community. But that's the sort of matrix we're stuck in. So what I want you to do is... Um, Get the app. Has anyone got the app yet? No. Type in your, where you're living now, or maybe your family home. Now, it doesn't happen for every property, but um, for many, um, it will have the sales history in there. So, Dan, if you scroll up a bit. Here, oh, sorry, let's start off. Start off. Here we are, pre-capital gains tax discount. In 1997, it was worth 64,000. A decade later, 202,000. I bought it at 230. Um, scroll upwards. Aren't I lucky? 230. Ah, oh, where's the valuation? Ah, oh, there. So that's what it's worth now. $510,000. So. Sweet old 280k, that's almost as much money as I've earned in that time. Um, but what I want you to do is um, think of, is anyone, so we could take that Merrickville example of $37,000. And um, to the, the way to work out the value of your property is to times the rent you're paying by 25 years. So if we times that um, rent, go to calculator, 25 times 
925,000. Um, yep, by 25 years. And then compare that, that value to the valuation on the house gives you this price here. And there's probably a difference. Um, if anyone can give me their numbers. That's the sale price. So has, has anyone got a number they can announce to us that, um, Rob? Should be worth eight hundred. So that means the bubble aspect, the bubble price there is four hundred thousand. Ours is worth seven hundred and two and it's sold for one point one. for one point one. Again, that number twenty five is generous, actually the historic formula is twenty times purchase. Yes. That was the eighteenth century formula. If you think five percent is a normal yield on good rental properties. Yep. If you think of five percent 5% is 120 of the capital value, so if you multiply the return in dollars by 20, it would be a better long term. Yeah, well, I, was, I, I bumped it up to 25 years because so many mortgages now are 25 to 30 years, and I just thought um, perhaps that might be a, a, a more <coughs> con fiscally conservative number, but sure, it would be... Yeah, you'd be looking at 30 years rent, would you? Sorry? You'd be looking at 30 years. You'd look 20. Yep. That'd be even more, the, the bubble price would be even more. How much did you get? Uh-huh. Yep. Best figure yet. Anyone else got numbers? I got 1.14. Yep. Wow. So I wonder how long ago that property was sold. Um, well, I had a new landlord who did that like two years ago, but um, he bought it five years ago. Okay. Yeah. So he's, he's valuing his rents at the market price. Um, sorry, you've got a vintage 2016 um, landlord. Yes, I, I do try and advise people looking for properties to somehow luck that old 80-year-old landowner who might have three or four properties, um, who's not, who bought them in the 80s, who's not, you know, he's made his enough money, he's not... Yeah, yep. So you're looking for someone who's trying to absolve their conscience is basically what you're asking for, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just like somebody who's done something bad needs to make a deal with God very quick. Um, anyone else got a number? 200,000. Okay. Your, your rent by 25 years. So that's weekly though. So um, turn that into... Yearly. <laughs> so there you go. You have 16, 17 grand in. Wow, you're lucky. Mm. So yeah, he, he bought that in 1941 though, so. Yours is worth 400. Yours is actually worth 400 grand. It says it's worth 3 million on the thing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bonanza. <laughs> 
You are so it's lucky. Like, I feel like I've won Oslotto. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> a very crap Oslotto. So, another way you can look at it and... Another way to look at it is to look at the, the value of your, um, your entire yearly wage. Say you earn $70,000 and times that by, by $210,000. Um, that's the old school measure for affordability of, by three. How much of your entire wage could you... Um, you know, how much of your entire wage would it take you to pay off a house? So $70,000 into, say, $700,000, that's 10 years to pay it off. Um, typically, it used to take three years of your entire wage to pay off a house. But um, uh, it's interesting, some of our um, wise old folks say, isn't that interesting that David Rockefeller was a strong supporter of feminism? People go, and then you think about it and you go, wow, if women get to work, there's two incomes, and that's going to mean they're both, they're both going to um, be able to pay for a house and put their money together, and they will compete in the market, and that will push the price of land and real estate up. So it's, um, it's really... Uh, this matrix that keeps getting tighter and tighter and you hear of the first homeowners grant people getting $32,000 but really that made prices more expensive now there's another one the first homeowners stamp duty discount and that's also making not doing what you're led to believe so there's all this policy fraud in terms of housing affordability so Dan do you want to switch it back to the PowerPoint we're just I've only got a few more slides to go. The next one, yep. So we've, well, and do you want to, what's, oh, no, 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 we just need to press play up the top. I wonder if you can press that play icon. Yep, beauty. So we've entered our address, looked up the sales history, um, and we've seen if you've earned more than it's gone up in capital gains. So that's another thing you can do with this on the house app. See how much the valuation's gone up in the last few years and um, uh, see whether you've earned more than it's gone up in capital gains. It's just carnage how many communities that's happening. I think in Redfern, the um, household income is $85,000, but the um, capital gains in the last year were $135,000. So um, in Melbourne, uh, we've got... Um, you know, all sorts of pressures going on there as well, and it's a similar sort of thing. But all around the world, these, these things are going on, and young people are getting so frustrated that they're having to live on two-minute noodles. They should be. Well, I, I floated the idea to have the International Day Against Property Speculation. Where did that go? Where did that come from? <laughs> I kind of just went soft for a minute. <laughs> what happened but, after that? But, okay, let me workshop this with you. Imagine if we had some really good social media expert. Um, and we had um, each um, uh, capital city, you found the most desirable location, whatever that is, in Potts Point, And you organised a thousand people to go there. 
And at a certain time, you have one of these things filming away. Everyone gets on their knees and prays for a share of the capital gains. This property has, has been delivered. That would be my multimedia, that would be my prank to try and get people to think how crazy it is that people are making all this easy money and they're not paying barely any tax on it. So we've spotted the bubble, multiplied 25 times, we've got the economic value of the home, we've got this, you know, like this woman's been shunted into the side here, I got smart advice on my first home loan. And we've been saying for a number of years, don't buy now. So it's a Facebook group you can follow called Don't Buy Now, where all this sort of information is fired up. It's another one called Earth Sharing. Um, that when do you suggest we buy, though? It just well, seems to permanently be that since, like, well, 2011. What, yeah, well, the advice out of Macquarie Bank is that, goodness me, the, the downturn is coming. Um, the, a decade of, of um, full-time jobs going this way and part-time jobs going this way, um, that burden on the economy, now that the property bubble um, is winding down thanks to the removal of some of these foreign investors, we've still got a lot of local investors, self-managed super funds, um, Wayne Swan gave them the ability to buy, to to invest in real estate out of their self-managed super funds. So if property does go down, there's going to be a lot of retirees really crying into their wheat bicks because it's carnage. So yeah, this huge object is approaching. Don't worry, it's just the China, China's real estate bubble. You know, it's London, it's LA, it's New York, it's goodness knows, it's all over the place. Is any country doing it right? Well, Singapore is one of the best, and they have 91% home ownership rates in Singapore, and it's because they have this leasehold system where you lease the land and you, you own the building, and you own the apartment. And this... Exactly. Yeah, Canberra was meant to. It was set up that way originally, but in terms of um, Australian housing policy, they have something there called the Canberra Land Rent Initiative. It's only... 100 acres or so, it's tiny, but it's having um, positive effects from what I understand in that um, you don't actually have to buy the land, you just lease it off the government, and there's a 70% saving on your mortgage. So after here, after Sydney, I'm heading to good old Byron Bay, where I'm shacking up with a guy who owns 100 acres at Brunswick Heads, and he wants to set up something called a community land trust. And that's something you should start researching because you, know, so you, you take out these $800,000 mortgages and then you never meet your neighbours. And how do you find a way to live with people who um, are like-minded and you want to build a community, you want to live together? Um, it's something that this community land trust movement is, is really building around the world because the foreclosure rates in America were like 94% lower um, if you lived in a community land trust than if you lived outside it. So... Um, it's a positive story. There's a little bits happening in Australia for this, so um, I'm looking forward to triggering things along. So three facts about the earth. One, global real estate's worth $217 trillion. We know this number now, $525 billion was the increase in Australian land values. And yes, 
foreign investment is up 334% in just six years. But that fact of this $217 trillion, what's happening now is that um, you all heard of, uh, was it Christina Evangelista, the model who wouldn't get up for anything less than, wouldn't get out of bed for anything less than 15 grand? Well, these big superannuation companies and private equity um, groups, they won't lift a finger until there's a, a $100 million real estate deal on the table. But they've all got trillions of dollars now to spend, and the banks, the, you know, the bonds don't deliver any interest rate um, dividend there. The share markets are so rocky. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, and so they're looking to buy real estate in um, exotic places. And of course, Sydney, your amazing harbours, um, is right up there in terms of these global cities. So I really fear that uh, what we're seeing now, um, if it, you know, there is a crash in three or four years, it'll be back on unless we start to um, look at something like what we talk about: this land value tax where we can have opportunity and efficiency. There's a property near, near my house. It got um, graffitied, uh, the Braybrook tip, and it stayed that way for um, uh, a good two years, and they'd come and uh, bulldoze away all the rubbish, and it was incredible. And of course, one night I'm cycling home, the whole thing's on fire. This here was a public house. Um, uh, Ernie, Aboriginal elder, lived there, had the place immaculate. Um, unfortunately, his house got caught fire and burnt down, and that was just coming up about a year ago. It's still vacant, the buggers. Now, what we're talking about with this is that um, if, if we had a serious land value tax on here, the penalty of holding it empty would mean I've got to get someone in there to rent. You know, I've got to find some way to pay six eight, ten grand a year in land tax, so I've got to rent that out. If I don't rent it, maybe I'll uh, build apartments on there and build more housing supply. So if we don't do that, all of these added up vacant properties lead to sprawl. So we've got to protect our nature by building upwards rather than outwards and using the land we already have. So there's plenty of... Um, land out there you know we live in a huge country but um you know we're, we're, we're told that this there's nowhere to live there's there's no no abundance on this planet but if anyone's into uh, permaculture you know that uh, from just one kale plant you can harvest thousands of seeds and grow your own food but unfortunately, we, we just don't have enough land, we don't have enough time to grow healthy local food. So there's some of the, you know, these are some of the light topics I discuss each week <laughs> on The Renegade Economist. So uh, um, yeah, it, it's a nice little podcast you can listen to as you commute around. Um, I hope I haven't hit you too hard with facts, but no, yes, Mia? Yep. I mean, one of the biggest things that annoys me um, in Australia is the fact that we don't have high-speed rail. And Japan's mm. had it since 1969. Um, and the fact that people can't choose to live out and there is urban density. And, you know, sprawl doesn't have to happen. People can live, you know, down on the coast where they want to and commute to work. But, yeah. you know, it's just impossible and it's ridiculous. Well, that's, that's, 
All fast things are good. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, imagine being able to, like, you know, live two hours away but get to work in half an hour yeah. Yeah, well, um, remember the BHP um, controversy a year or two ago that blew up about them um, channeling all their revenue through Singapore because, um, and they were avoiding paying their tax here in Australia. Well, that's because, because Singapore collects this land lease money, they have, uh, I think it's a 13% um, company tax rate. And they exempt foreign income, so they are a natural taxpayer and in Hong Kong similar. If you collect land values as It's, Terry's exactly right and this is the problem we have is that because um, people aren't inspired to understand this stuff they just rely on Rupert Murdoch to spoon feed them whatever um, you know he feels is appropriate um, people have been able to massage this system into um, you know a, a, a beautiful set of numbers for the wealthy you know that's what it is so slowly but surely people are learning online and they're, they're putting um, the pressure on the police to really um, lift their game on this. But I fear how long it's going to take. <laughs> Let's hope that something good happens um, at this election because, uh, yeah, it's, it's just carnage. Um, the pain people are, are facing. So that price of ignorance, you know, what would missing out on $303,000 um, in your community um, each year, we'd all be comfortable with um, uh, scrapping our income taxes, wouldn't we? So we save 15 grand there. That's a start. And there's so much money in the property bubble that could be channeled away from the banking system and the wealthy and towards giving us all a tax cut. Um, that's the essence of this old story and that's why every tax review we see and even Malcolm Turnbull talks about funding the high-speed rail using um, a version of land value tax called land value capture. He's a big fan of that because Lucy Turnbull is the chair of uh, Sydney Cities and the former mayor here. She understood that developers were the ones who were donating all the money and trying to bribe their way to get the golden pen tick, the rezoning, for their land near and have the train station right next to their land and there you go um, the chairman of the Essendon Football Club the former chairman in Melbourne in 18 months he made 40 million dollars 40 million dollars by having uh, owned some lands in Fisherman's Bend and having had it rezoned so it's just incredible the amount of money that's possible when you own land that's going to get rezoned so 
So yeah, on that exciting, exciting note, I will um, uh, open the floor for questions. Geordie, do you want to start us off with Yeah, that? I do actually. We've got a land tax in New South Wales. Why doesn't it work? Good question. What a Dorothy Dixer. <laughs> we didn't rehearse that one, did we? This tightly strung routine we got here. It's the only thing I know. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, there should be like a scorebook for laughing in the face of ICAC, and certainly privatising the land titles office is one. Uh, but the one that's just snuck through with the um, the latest New South Wales budget is they've increased the land tax threshold from 430,000 to 482,000. Now that doesn't sound like the sort of zinger that Bill Shorten's going to talk about, does it? But, uh, um, but what that means is that um, they've wiped out the most useful tool for housing affordability. Um, for the for in affordable suburbs so what a land tax does is that um, it's a counterweight to land price so if you had two blocks of land next to each other one was paying land tax and the other one wasn't you'd both pay similar amounts um, but the one that was paying land tax would pay that money to the government and get a tax cut and not pay so much interest to the banks. They have a huge saving there. But this guy would pay a similar amount of money um, on the land, but also have to pay income taxes. And so um, it's, it takes a little while to get your head around it, but really land tax is a counterweight to mortgage debt. So by what this land tax threshold does is means that only um, uh, land above $480,000 pays land tax. And so whilst the first homeowner's grant was policy fraud and the, and the um, first homeowner's stamp duty discount, the latest new trend um, faux policy, affordability policy is, is going through, um, uh, what they're doing is giving a free ride to first-time property investors who are trying to um, get in on the game. As they always are told to basically go and buy in the um, the the public housing estate type, you know, the roughest neighbourhoods and um, sit and wait and wait five years, wait seven years. And uh, I've been to seminars before that where they've um, not done um, racial profiling, but they've done cultural profiling. Your job is to go and find those people who have black rimmed glasses and a goatee and they ride fixed wheel bikes. <laughs> And it's your job to go and listen to what they're talking about. And it's your job to figure out how they think. And then it's your job to go and buy in the next community they're going to be forced to move to in about five years' time. Because rents will have gone up here because all the wannabes want to move in where you know, the happening vibe is. So here we are down in St Peter's. Had to duck my head from the air. The plane's flying over our heads before. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've moved from uh, Newtown from, you know, 10 years ago. That was the happening place. And is St Peter's the next one? I don't... Marrickville is. Well, there you go. That's why those capital gains, those prices are jumping so much. So yeah, community land trust is positive though, hey? Does that lift your vibe? Sorry? 
I hope so. If not, a YouTube. There's going to be a report behind it and then probably a YouTube just specialising on yeah. it. But it's incredible. The superannuation money that's looking to get involved in that space um, is, is really exciting. Um, but it's just getting the economic uh, formula in order. So um, it's, it's not the perfect land value tax uh, mechanism that we want, but it's certainly a big step forward. John? Well, it's different to co-housing. Co-housing is really just a living arrangement where perhaps they have um, a, an apartment block where they share a, um, a, a kitchen or a, you know, a guest room or something like that and they have a shared living arrangements. But a community land trust is where the trust um, not only does that but has an economic framework behind it to ensure that the land keeps the price um, remains affordable and that's the key point. It's the opposite today where the news cycle is all about rising property prices and we keep asking who are the rising property prices actually good for? Banksters and, and those who already own property. Community Land Trust. Yeah, and Dr. Louise Crabtree here in uh, the University of Western Sydney. She's one of the leaders. She's the leading voice on this. She's, there's a, a, a Warringah Community Land Trust Facebook group here um, that love to be flooded by um, new likes on their Facebook page, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, they need some new energy to help push that along because it's... It's exciting, but we're, we're, I've been waiting to launch this report um, after the bubble bursts, and I've been talking about it for 10 years. <laughs> so it, I, I feel like uh, after this Macquarie Insight today, of, you know, because basically every six months, every year, I've sort of said, God, it's got to bust, it's got to bust, but then there's a new policy handout that, that keeps the bubble moving forward. So... Yeah. The mining bubble's over. So uh, they can't just keep making the bubble bigger forever? It's not an option? Well, the, the sneaky thing that has happened um, on another cheery note is that we now have 40-year mortgages in Australia. You know? <laughs> and there's even examples of 50-year mortgages being available. So um, here I was laughing about the Japanese and their multi-generational mortgages. Well, it's virtually here. The property, the land. Yeah. Is. We are. But you look at it around the world, most of, most of the global cities are back in the same, same stratosphere or higher than what happened pre-GFC. So, you know, if you travel overseas, you see there are communities falling apart. Homelessness, you know, um, public libraries being shut down all over the place. Public health, you know, is this whole Brexit thing, um, you know, it's really a byproduct of US imperialism that's destroyed the Middle East, led to all these immigrants, now um, the, the rednecks have, have amped up and they've, nationalists all around the world are trying to defend, are trying to defend um, their own interest. 
because governments in a way have opened the door to foreign investment to keep these property prices booming. So in a way we're, wor we're working across purposes and the social fabric is slowly pulling apart. Luckily we can laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice band-aid. <laughs> band-aid measure. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's right. So let's change that tax system. And if we did have um, lower company taxes and higher land taxes, uh, wow, there'd be so many of those bright people who are wrapped up in the property game going, well, geez, maybe I should be really doing something more productive. So that's where the tax mix, you know, there's people who talk about the importance of GDP indicators and measuring global happiness and all these sort of things, but that's all stuff that happens after the, after the, the, the happening. The tax system inspires the creation of business and community and all those sort of things. So, uh, Yeah, exactly. And that's the beauty of this, this invisible mortgage noose we all have around us. It controls our thinking. And Rob was uh, relaying a Steve Keen interview today, and he was saying just that. It's uh, just regarding small businesses, um, um, my mum runs a business for 30 odd years, but they kind of, they've, they've lost a, a shop already because of Mervac rents. Mervac the rents. The rents go up because of the housing record. Absolutely. And in our... And the amount of vacant property in commercial in, in Victoria, in Melbourne, it's like 23% of commercial property is empty and still rents go up. And it's because we don't have any competitive pressure in that market because there's no land tax to make them rent it out because the money's there for the capital gains. So the capital gains are triple um, the rental um, income in so many suburbs now, it's just becoming less and less, uh, you know, there's less and less impetus to rent it out to people. Let's just keep it empty and make the easy money. Use it or lose it. Get on with it, and uh, gets rid of this sort of speculation. 
Excellent. How's the squatting culture in Australia? The squatting culture? Like, surely they can read symbols on these empty houses. I know. Well, they always come. They they come knocking on the door, saying eighty two thousand. Please just tell us where they are. <laughs> but of, but of course we have privacy laws, and so they can't reveal the actual empty properties for us. But some of the councils are starting to get innovative, and there's been quite a push. You might have seen on the project for empty housing to be taxed to fund domestic violence and those sort of programs. So the culture of the awareness of empty housing and, the, and its effect on real estate and the financial arguments households have because of uh, you know, 60, 50, 60% of our income spent on rent, uh, how many households have debates over bills which really, you know, all that pressure could be, could be ameliorated if we were sensible about our, goodness me, our goddamn tax system. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We're coming up to 8 o'clock. What do you reckon? Uh, we got any last question or two? We're about done? Excellent. All right. <laughs> oh, there we go. Uh, we're... We've streamed the hell out of this. We've talked it all up. Um, thank you so much for coming. It's, uh, it's always good to see um, when we get beyond the trusty 12. And how many of us are there tonight? There's, three. There's 16. We made it. So well done. Good on you for moving away from your screen, whatever your favourite variety is. And uh, hopefully you can keep an eye on uh, our website, prosper.org.au. Don't have that up there, but that's my Twitter account at Earth Sharing. If anyone's on Twitter, lots of good stuff. All right, Jody, come on, mate. What do we, what have we learned from today? Well, how do we sum this up to finish off? Why are you asking me? <laughs> like the genius here, right? Like, what do we do from here? Do you reckon? Yeah. What's the next step? Do we just start buying those property investor magazines? Because like that's all I think every time after this is just like, oh yeah, insider tips. Surely, right? Yeah. Is that what we do? Well, <laughs> asking him. Ho hopefully, uh, hopefully you can um, uh, lay some comments online somewhere this week. I mean, that's, we just all have to do as much as we can this week to raise the housing issue, and uh, whether whether that's on Fairfax or wherever, just ask those questions. Write emails to Bill Short and saying, "Well done, keep it going. We'll be watching when you win." Because that'll be the next step. It's always like day two, the bankers and the, the big end of town come knocking and um, start prying away at the public interest. But yeah, I wish there was something more complex I could Good say night, than everyone. that. Um, you know, but maybe we'll come up with this International Day Against Property Speculation. What do you reckon? I'm tempted. I'm going to meet a multimedia whiz on this um, trip. This is my first talk going around Australia with my young family. So um, I'm going to meet someone out there who's going to be pissed off enough to say, right, let's do it. Because you could see that catching on, couldn't you? A, a different name? Okay. Rob, what do you reckon? What name? Collateralise the house you live on, which 
don't pay tax on, I think you should lose that tax free capacity of that house because you would actually turn your house into an investment vehicle. If you rent it out, you can be charged capital gains tax on the portion that you own that house and earn an income. So that's the war on income. So the government already has a vehicle to capital gains tax a uh, uh, residence if you want to earn income. But if you want to earn capital, it's free for all. I think the same thing should apply to the capital of a house. So then people would then do due diligence and say, am I willing to take on a tax liability to buy an investment property? And then the whole process is done. That's my point. I've had a lot of feedback about that. It's not palatable. It is, and, it, and it's lubricant, a, a lubrication for the investment mentality. So it would be another little hurdle could be placed in the way to say, look, this isn't the best way to uh, be earning money. It actually damages communities when we have to pay these higher prices. And so um, Joseph Stiglitz is another economist you might have heard of. He talks about um, how uh, rent is a secret tax the wealthy charge the poor. So, um, you know, it's, an, it's a system that has to be addressed some way or other. And for hundreds of years, people have been um, debating this story and talking about it. And hopefully with the internet age, um, we'll be able to deliver um, sometime in the future as this radical era um, keeps building with climate change, with the wealth gap, with demographics, uh, you know, it's, it's, and people learning themselves. So, yeah, I'm thinking it's, it's only going to get more radical from here on. So thanks very much. Um, if anyone wants to join us for uh, um, maybe some mulled wine or a glass of water, Feel free to uh, continue the chats, but um, yeah, thanks a lot for coming. And thanks very much to the guys out the back in the green room uh, at Tortuga Studios. <laughs> thanks very much for listening to this week's Renegade Economists recording hopefully you can share it with your networks love to see some itunes reviews thanks to those who've been supporting the radiothon 3cr still needs more funding to uh, help keep the activist airwaves alive all right i look forward to reporting in further up the coastline next week on 3cr <laughs>